You're listening to the Experience Sikhi podcast, a deeper look into the Sikh identity. We present to you open, honest, and inspiring stories. No armor, pretense, or sugarcoating. Welcome to the Experience Sikhi podcast. I'm Dilraj Singh. We begin the podcast by acknowledging that we are meeting on Aboriginal land that has been inhabited by Indigenous peoples from the beginning. As settlers, we're grateful for the opportunity to meet here, and we thank all the generations of people who have taken care of this land for thousands of years. In particular, we acknowledge the traditional territory of the Anishinaabek and the Huron-Wendat. Also, just some reminders, if you like the podcast, please remember to comment, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Google Play. You can also send us questions and feedback at podcast at Once again, that's podcast at our guest today is Prabhjot Kaur. Prabhjot Kaur is a registered massage therapist, massage therapy professor, and currently in school studying early childhood education. She is also a mother to a little toddler and has spent the last year and a half focused on motherhood and getting back into her career. She has made some recent changes to her career path because of her desire to focus more on motherhood. She will touch on her journey to becoming an RMT, how she got into teaching, and why she decided to make the change into early childhood education. So here's Prabhjot Kaur. Thank you so much for being on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. I'm nervous to be on this side of it. Yeah, for, for a lot of the listeners that might not know or are wondering why this is a familiar voice, Prabhjot Panji was one of the co-hosts for the last two seasons. And just like Kalunder saying, who, who you may have heard earlier in this season, they are on the opposite side of the mic. Which, which we got fired. Uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't firing. It was so we could hear more about you and not just you asking other people about their experiences. Yeah. So can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So you mentioned a lot of it. I'm a registered massage therapist. Um, so that's what I went to school for. And then... A few years into being a RMT, I started uh, teaching. I always kind of found myself in a teaching position even while I was in school. So it's something I always wanted to do. And currently I am in school again for early childhood education. So that's a little bit about the education. Um, and then for family, I'm one of four siblings, second oldest. I have two sisters and a brother. And I'm really close with my family and I've been married almost seven years now. And we have a little baby girl, Mitkor. So she pretty much takes up all of my time these days. So for passions and hobbies, it's just <laughs> being a mom. I don't really think I have any other passions or hobbies at the moment. Fair. So we'll get into your career a little bit. Um, but before that, your journey into Sikhi. We have an episode with your younger sister and her journey began earlier and she mentioned because you were there. So when did your personal journey begin and what stage of life did it start at? Um, I would say I always felt connected to Sikhi. My parents were Amritari. Uh, my my dad took Amrit maybe a year before he got married and then my mom took it a few months before. So we grew up in an Amritari household. Sikhi was always around. Um, extended family, not so much, but mm -hmm. definitely my mom and my dad. Um, and my dad spent a lot of energy um, teaching us Girtan, sending us to Khalsa school. We were in Santhya, so there was a huge Sikhi influence yeah. on us. 
Um, but I think one of the things growing up I felt about Siki was it's something that you do when you're older. It's something mm -hmm. you do when you're 70 or 80 and, you know, you enjoy your life and then you take Amrit and, yeah. and then you die. Um, yeah. And so that was kind of my view of Siki. And I always knew that there was this red and you don't cut your hair and you don't eat meat. Mm -hmm. But I don't, I think I was missing a huge aspect of Siki, which is love for Maraj. Yeah. And, um, I I think my parents did the best that they could, but I think that part was lacking for me. So when I was a teenager, I really admire my dad for this, and I want to take it into my journey as a parent as well, mm -hmm. is to never pressure Mitkar to come into Sikhi. Yep. Um, he, he didn't really pressure us. He gave us all the tools so that now at almost 30, I can look back and say that I can't say, oh, you never taught me Kirtan, you never mm -hmm. put me in Santia, you yeah. never did this, you never did that. He did everything that he could. And then when we were about 13 or 14 years old, and when I say we, I mean me and my older sister, mm -hmm. we're one year apart. So we grew up together. Yeah. Just see is six years younger than me. So she had like a bit of a different path. Mm -hmm. um, and he kind of, my dad just kind of stepped back and was like, if you guys don't want to wake up in the morning and do pot before you go to school, it's up to you. Mm -hmm. Like he, he just kind of let us do what we wanted. And both of us, I think had a curiosity to explore yep. the other side, especially because nobody in our extended family was really into Sikhi. And mm -hmm. as a child, it seemed like they were having more fun because yeah. on Saturday night when everybody would be at birthday parties, me and my sister Dvinder would be at Kirtan class. Yeah. And yeah. my dad would tell us that when you're older, you're really going to value this. Yeah. And you guys don't see it yet, but you have a huge gift. And he always used to, he, my dad even tried to learn tabla. Mm -hmm. And he must have been in his 40s or 50s. And he just, he's like, my brain doesn't work anymore. Like, I yeah. can't do it. And so he, uh, he wasn't able to really learn. But he said he wanted to give us all the tools that yeah. he felt he didn't have. Because as a kid, all he knew was you go to the Gurdgara Saib and you eat Prashad. Mm -hmm. That he always yeah. says that. Um, and mm -hmm. so I, that was kind of my view. And then becoming a teenager, I did start doing Kesandi Biyadvi and, um, uh, you know, tried experimenting with like hookah and drugs mm -hmm. and alcohol a little bit, not too much. Yeah. Um, it never really felt right deep down. So I didn't do it too much, but I experimented yeah. a little bit. And then when I was 17, I went off to university. I went to University of Waterloo and that's where I met Gurleen. And so Gurleen is definitely the person who introduced me to a new side of Sikhi mm -hmm. because I saw somebody who's only two years older than me yep. living a very similar life in university and she was enjoying her life while also being in Sikhi. And so I realized it's not really something that you have to do when you're older. So mm -hmm. the influence of the SSA, the Sikh Student Association at Waterloo was huge for me. There were a few Gursik, Sej Singh being another one from Gursivuk. And uh, Gurleen being a huge one, um, who really showed me, Antijot Singh as well, who yeah. really showed me that you can still have fun and do the things that you want to do mm -hmm. and still have a relationship with Guru Sahib. Yeah. And being blessed with Amrit is not the end of your life. Mm -hmm. um, it's not the end of your fun and your enjoyment. Yeah. And um, that was really big for me. And so that was kind of my... Um, journey into mm -hmm. Sikhi and then from there it just kept growing and even like when I was blessed with Amrit it was 
the influence of Gurleen slowly over a few months of just Gurleen is very persistent. And mm -hmm. that's one of her strengths is she would chase people down in university. Like, Hey, are you coming to Tuesday Simran? Yep. Are you coming to Wednesday discussion? And mm -hmm. she just kept texting me. Yep. And eventually I just went because I felt guilty mm -hmm. because she kept texting me. And so I went and I started to enjoy it. And so slowly the influence kind of came. And then I remember Jesse was telling me that one of her friends is going to be blessed with Amrit that weekend. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa, there's an Amrit Sanchar. And so I just, within one week, I was like, I'm going to go to the Amrit Sanchar on Saturday. Yeah. And so I went to the Amrit Sanchar. I was blessed with Amrit. And I remember walking out and my dad gave me the biggest hug. Mm -hmm. And that's not something we really did yeah. with my dad. We never really hugged him. Yeah, We do now, now that we're older. But as kids, we never really hugged him. And he was waiting outside the Amrit Sanchar for a few hours until yep. I would come out. And he just gave me a big hug. And yeah, things really. And then I met everybody from SYF, Experience Siki. Back then it was called SYF. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, then then my Siki really went uphill from there. It's crazy you mentioned that because I've had conversations with your younger brother about it as well. And he recalls a very similar instance. It was when he walked out of the Amr Sanchar that he remembers the look of pride on your dad's face and having that hug. So it's a really. Um, it is a special moment when your parents are just as engaged. Um, Jesse had mentioned that your dad was hesitant in terms of letting her take Amrit at a younger age. And then when she had Sangha through uh, SYF at that time, coming back from camp, it was more of her telling your dad that she was going to take it rather than asking for permission. Um, was there a similar dynamic when it was your turn and when you were having the... Did you have a conversation or was it just all in once it happened um it did happen where he was hesitant but not when i actually was blessed with Amit, which was in 2012 may mm -hmm. 5th 2012 um two years earlier i went to god's united camp yep. and um i was like 16 at the time and i came back feeling very influenced and i was like i want to do radas every day because we always did morning at the name but yep. we never did radas and keep consuela as kids mm -hmm. um and so i was like i want to start doing set the morning in the name and I want to start tying a butka. And so I started that. It was, mm -hmm. um, this might've been like, I don't know. I actually don't know the exact timeline because I feel like I was younger than 16 mm -hmm. when, when this happened, but I was like, I want to change my life and I want to go, go into Sikhi. And my dad, he didn't want me to start tying a butka and then take it off. Mm -hmm. um, he yep. said that would be worse. And so he said, J just, you know, go slow, just start doing Nitnim. And I was very persistent that I wanted to wear a patka. Yep. And then, you know, you come back from these camps and you're on a high. And eventually yep. you go back to real life and influences and school and friends and mm -hmm. all of that. So I eventually did take the patka off. And uh, I remember being in the washroom and I like I came down the stairs in the morning and my dad saw me without the patka. And I quickly ran into the washroom to hide. Mm -hmm. And he stood outside the washroom door and he said, like, don't do this. Mm -hmm. He he didn't want me to take the butt off. He's like, I was scared that this would happen. And then yeah. it happened. So I remember feeling like I really disappointed my dad. Um, and then, you know, time passed. And, um, and then I went to university. And mm -hmm. so the second time, I don't remember any hesitation from my dad. I think he was very supportive. Interesting. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that he gave you the tools um, that he may not have had. I remember, or I have similar thoughts when I'm like, if I had Santa earlier, or if 
you know, my parents dropped me <laughs> in India for a couple of years to learn that things could have been different. But because of that, um, I want to make sure that when, whenever I have the opportunity to be a parent, that I'm giving them the opportunity. Similarly, just so they can't say that I held them back or that they weren't exposed to any opportunity they they may have wanted in the future. So now that you're in his place, uh, essentially as a parent of your own, what are some things that you're being cognizant of or how are you raising the next generation? One thing you've mentioned is you're not going to force a key, but how do you attempt to influence your child in positive ways? Yeah, um, like you said, the big one for me is, yeah, not forcing Siki on her, mm -hmm. um, giving her the tools, but also really emphasizing that point of like love for Guru Saib. Because for me, the Saki that got me into Siki was the Saki of Bai Joga Singh. Um, yeah. And at home in Guru Saib's room, we have a little like a plaque decoration thing and it says Joga on it, Joga, right? And um, I was gifted that from a few friends on my birthday a few years ago. And yeah. it's because that Saki means a lot to me because it's a Saki about how Guru Saib is always there for you, mm -hmm. you know, even when you don't realize it. And I think in this season of my life, it, it would be good for me to go back and remember that is sometimes it's hard for me to feel like Guru Saib is really there. Mm -hmm. Um and Guru Saib has my back and Guru Saib has my best interest, even if I can't see them in that moment. Yep. Um, and so for me, I I really want Mitgar to know that is even when she's going through something hard, that Guru Saib will always be there. I think a part of it for me was I had never really been through a lot of difficulty. Like I never lost anybody. Mm -hmm. um, I did go through a lot of bullying as a kid. I was bullied a lot. Um especially in middle school. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a big difficulty for me. And that was kind of what I was thinking about when the first time I heard that Saki is when everybody in my school hated my guts and I was being bullied by this girl for, for days. Every mm -hmm. day she just kept going and going and going. The only one I really felt like was there for me was Guru Saib. Mm -hmm. And I just want Mitgar to know that. I don't want her to like, Obviously, I don't want her to have a hard life and go through a lot of difficulties, yeah. but it's a part of life. Mm -hmm. And I just want her to know that when you go through those, that Guru Saib is always going to be there for you. I think that's the big thing for me. Another thing you've mentioned is the Sangat you've had around you um, at or in the SSA at Waterloo, but also SYF now turned into Experience Aki. Why is Sangat important for someone's personal development into Aki? Um why did you feel like you couldn't do it on your own? It's a great question. Um, I think it's important to surround yourself with people that are better than you. Hmm. And that's what Sangat is, right? It's, mm -hmm. When I went to SYF camp, I was um, Amritari at the time, but I wasn't really focusing on Amrit Villa and uh, being really routine with that. Mm -hmm. And when we went to camp, you wake up at Amrit Villa and I would see all of the Sangat waking up at Amrit Vela and I yep. was like, I don't do this. And so I remember coming home from camp and being like, this is very, very important yep. to do that. And um, I think Sangat is important to motivate you to do those things, hold mm -hmm. you accountable um, when you don't do them. Yep. And uh, Sangat is important for, you know, love and belonging. I think when I met like my friends in SYF, it's the first time in my life I felt like I really belong somewhere. Mm -hmm. Because because of my experiences when I was bullied in middle school, there were days in high school where 
I would be absent for like four days in a row and I would come back and not one person would say, Hey, you were away for four days. Like, mm -hmm. are you okay? Were you sick? Like, how are you? Like, I, I, there were times where I would go back to school and not a single person would notice that I was even yeah. away. And when I met SYF, I was like, I felt a sense of belonging. I felt people cared for me. They wanted the best for me. Mm -hmm. And um, at the end of the day, they're not just people. Yeah. They are, you know, good six and they're, they are the Sangatan. So that was very important for me. Along your journey into Sikhi, were there any role models that inspired you along the way? Or once you were already on the path, helped you move forward? Yeah, I think because of SYF and experience Sikhi, I've been able to, like, just... Like, just everybody, especially like the OGs, like Glinder and Gurjeevan and Gurleen, like, uh, they're all role models for me. Mm -hmm. um, Amrit Benji, um, Kirat Singh's mom, yeah. she's a very big inspiration for me. We were lucky enough to do Sangat, um, Santhya with Benji, and mm -hmm. she is like a 35 to 40, 45, 50, I don't even know where the limit is, ungs yeah. per hour. Yeah. Bhatti, she's been very inspirational for me. And um, the thing I love about Amrit Benji is that she, like, for me, represents, like, what a BB should be like. She's mm -hmm. um, very, you know, I don't want to start off like this, but she's very, you know, soft. It's something that has been hard for me. I come off very harsh and blah and outgoing and mm -hmm. too loud sometimes. And Amrit Benji is a very soft, gentle person. And yeah. I I would love for Mitkor to grow up you know, viewing her mom as somebody who's gentle and open and easy mm -hmm. to talk to. And for me, Amrit Benji's like that. She's very non-judgmental, but she's such a badass and she stands up for herself. She's very strong. She's yeah. raising Kirit Singh like in such an amazing way. I see her like discipline him and put him in his place and same with VG. And so yeah. she represents all aspects of what I think a woman should be. Mm -hmm. And she reads Crazy Bonnie, and I think anybody that listens to her read Bonnie, you know, um, they feel something very deep inside yeah. that when you're around her, that you're around somebody who's very strong. And so for me, she's a big role model. And then, of course, all the women in the Bant, right? Like mm -hmm. all in our history. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. So that was your journey into Sikhi. Now switching gears to your journey into becoming a massage therapist and now a teacher. What did that journey look like? Where have you studied and worked over the years? Yeah, so um, I started off at the University of Waterloo. Um, that was another thing for me when I was in grade 12. I applied to a bunch of universities and mm -hmm. I got into one for, they offered me the secondary program because I didn't get into the one that I um applied for mm -hmm. and then Waterloo was my first choice and it's the only one I got into yeah. um, and so went to Waterloo I did my degree in biomedical science and I walked into university thinking I wanted to be a dentist and I started volunteering in the dental clinic and realized it was boring and I hated it and I didn't have the grades for it anyways because mm -hmm. I'm not that smart and so I went uh, to the second thing which was I wanted to um, I wanted to uh, pursue a career in rehab. So um, I really liked the aspect of like helping people and, you know, being more one-on-one -on -one with them. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I think I wasn't exposed to the right physiotherapists, but mm -hmm. I was, that was my interest as I wanted to go into physiotherapy. But I met 
physiotherapist and started volunteering in clinics where it was very much like an assembly line system of you come in, you get put on machines and then you go out and there was no one-on-one care or progress. And, um, that's what I thought physiotherapy was. And then my ego at the time was like, well, I can't go into massage therapy. I have a university degree. Mm -hmm. Like you don't need a university degree to be a massage therapist. I was like, I can't be a massage therapist. And I slowly started to realize the benefits of massage therapy. One is I really just wanted to be done with school. Yeah. And I don't know if I should say this on this kind of podcast, but I really just wanted to be done with school. And so massage therapy was a short path. Mm-hmm. It was only, um, I think it was like 12, 13 months. Yeah. Um, and it depends where you go. Massage therapy can even take two to three years. You can get it done faster. Um, and it depends on your background as well. You can get exempt from some courses. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what happened for me is I got exempt from a lot of things because of my degree. And then I went into massage therapy. I went to National Institute, which is in Brampton. Do not recommend. It's uh, um, not very professional. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, a lot of self-teaching in college. And yeah. then I went on and became a massage therapist. And um, I I... I got registered in 2017 and then towards the end of 2019, I wanted to uh, pursue teaching and I always knew I had to wait two years uh, of being an RMT. And that was the advantage of having a degree is when you have a degree, you can start teaching faster. Whereas mm-hmm. if I had had no degree, I would have had to wait five to even possibly 10 years. Yep. So I was able to practice in the field for two years full time and then um, started teaching. So I did it hybrid. I was teaching a few days a week and then still practicing a few days a week. And Mm -hmm. I did that up until I went off on maternity leave. Um, So yeah, those are my studies. And then currently I'm at Centennial College for early childhood education. In terms of choosing massage therapy, you mentioned that you initially thought that it wasn't something for you because of your degree and you explored physio. So what ultimately drew you towards massage therapy? Um, yeah, the first one was the schooling was shorter. Um, financially, um, massage therapists can make more money than physiotherapists and chiropractors. Mm-hmm. Um, the hourly rate is definitely higher for massage therapists, um, especially if they work as contractors. Yeah. Um, a lot of freedom uh, with massage therapy. You know, you set your hours, you are your own boss. Um, and then for me, it came down to um, honesty, like honest work. I felt when I was working or volunteering, eventually working in those physio clinics, um, it felt like very dishonest, especially there were scenarios because uh, it was in Brampton. So there would be old like Punjabi uncles and mm-hmm. Babaji's and stuff or Bibian. They would ask like, or which means like, will I get better with this? Will yeah. I get better with these therapies that you're doing? And I would say, like, Hanji, Hanji, you will get better. And um, I wasn't sure because Mm -hmm. I was in university myself. And I didn't really see a lot of success. I saw people come in for a few weeks and then you'd never see them again. And or people would come in and say, I don't really feel like this is helping me. Mm -hmm. And the few times where the practitioners would do hands on work the clients and patients would come back saying, I felt like that really helped. I felt like the hands-on work really helped me and the Mm -hmm. exercises really helped me. And so that's where I found myself kind of leaning towards is I want to do hands-on work. It feels more honest to not have to lie to people that they're getting better. And Mm -hmm. I can honestly say my, in my career as a massage therapist, I never, I've so far, I've never felt like I had to lie to somebody and say Mm -hmm. they're going to get better. Like, 99.9% of the time people come back and say that 
they felt better yeah. after the massage. Then why did you end up deciding to teach this material afterwards? Was it something that you had always thought about? Teaching was an interest? Yeah, when I was in school, uh, because I didn't go to the best school, a lot of other students were struggling as well to understand the material. And there was no like proper um, way of testing. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't very organized. Attendance wasn't really big. And so um, I automatically kind of found myself in like a tutor position with yeah. my peers. Uh, people would approach me and say, hey, do you get this? And we would form study groups, which I often found myself leading. Mm -hmm. um, like, hey, come to my house, we'll practice. And so yeah. we we did a lot of that in college. And so I, I really enjoyed that feeling of you teach something to somebody and you simplify it for them, which I feel like is one of my strengths is to simplify material that is complicated mm -hmm. so that it meets the level at which somebody is ready to understand. Yeah. And so, um, I, yeah, I did a lot of that in college and I was like, oh, eventually I really want to. And so I, I started looking into how long would it take me to start teaching? Like how many years do I have to practice before yeah. I can start teaching? And it was two. So Two years passed, and then it wasn't until six months later that I was like, hey, I've been practicing for two years. I can start yeah. teaching now. And I was in osteopathy school when I did that, which I forgot to mention is I'm also a manual osteopath, um, and I'm certified in acupuncture. And so when I went to school for osteopathy, I again found myself in a tutor role and really enjoyed it. And I, this may sound like very, like, I have a big ego, but whenever the teacher was teaching something, I was like, I feel like I could teach it better than you. Like, I feel like I could teach this better than you. And my friend Tamina, who we're still really good friends to this day, was like, Prab, at school and work and stuff, everybody calls me Prab. I know I should correct them, but everybody just called me Prab. And so she was like, Prab, it's so much easier to learn this from you. Like, And then she really pushed me. I was like, you should you should pursue this. And I was yeah. like, hey, I actually wanted to. I just kind of forgot about it. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, then I applied to medics college where I worked for two years and then I applied to Durham college which was a big one for me because it's a community college it's a yep. public college it pays much better and I didn't think I would get the job there uh, but that was really big I ended up getting it and I worked there for three years and it's contract right so you mm -hmm. when you get you pick up a contract for four months and then you're off for the summers and yep. but yeah that was a that was what that, that that was what that was your question right is yeah. what okay i answered your question you did <laughs> okay. um just before we move on you mentioned osteopathy yeah um do you want to briefly describe what that is how that differs from massage therapy it doesn't differ too much um massage therapy will cover how to treat joints like when people have joint mobility issues mm -hmm. they don't have full range of motion in their joints massage therapy covers that in not as much detail but it does and mm -hmm. then um, there's something called PNF, which is proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation, and it's um, advanced stretching techniques. Okay. So it's um, it's not just do a stretch, hold it for. By the way, people don't stretch for as long as they should. Mm -hmm. Everybody thinks that they should stretch like oh, 10 seconds, 15 seconds. It's not yeah. enough for your brain to understand that your fibers are being stretched and they're being you know pulled. To, uh, and because what happens is when you stretch for 10 to 15 seconds your muscle fibers, they go to their maximum elasticity and mm -hmm. then they just recoil. Yep. They just go back to their original strength because it's not enough time for your brain to understand the message. Yep. Um, and so um, PNF techniques and longer stretching techniques of 30 seconds, one minute, two minute, when you hold it for longer periods of time, it allows for that communication to actually reach your brain and make long-term permanent changes mm. where 
your muscle fibers will actually undergo micro tearing. Yeah. And it sounds like a bad thing, but it's a good thing where your muscle fibers, they have minor, minor tears in them to the point where they get used to their new length. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And yeah. And so with PNF techniques, they uh, PNF techniques will engage muscles uh, by contracting them mm -hmm. and then follow it up with stretching. And so that's the focus of a lot of manual osteopaths is to do joint mobilization techniques for joint mobility issues mm -hmm. and then PNF techniques for um, stretching and tight muscles. Yep. And then they also do cranial sacral work, which is the belief that, you know, um, which uh, is, you know, proven is that your brain and your spinal cord and everything all the way down to your tailbone, which is mm -hmm. your sacrum, they're all connected. And so they're, they communicate with each other and uh, cranial focuses a lot on um, skull work, um, literally shifting the uh, bones in yep. your skull to help make changes in your body when wow. you have postural issues or a lot of different things. And um, they also focus on visceral which for me, I haven't been focusing too much on. Um, visceral is your internal organs and actually working on the outside to influence your internal organs. Wow. I'm not sure how much research there is on the validity of visceral work, mm -hmm. but uh, osteopathy is great for joint molds and PNF. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you want to? I anything? was going to say that massage therapy covers both of those as well, just okay. not as in depth. So when I went to osteopathy school, I. Um, it just helped me gain confidence in those joint molds and mm -hmm. uh, PNF techniques that I didn't have before, even though I was a practicing RMT. Interesting. Okay. Um, what did your work week look like when you were simply practicing as a massage therapist and then when you started teaching as well? What were the differences? Um, so when I was strictly practicing massage, I used to take one day off a week. Um, other than that, I was pretty much working every day. Um, and I definitely overdid it in the early years, the excitement of finally having a job after yeah. being at home for a few months and, um, just excited to get out of the house. I'm very much, I'm not a homebody at all. I really? love being out of the house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Don't like being at home, uh, which was hard for me when I was on maternity leave because I had to be home. But, yeah. um, I was like, I would need to get out of the house. I need to be out. And so I would sometimes work in two clinics in one day. Um, and so I was working, I think 40 to 45 hours, not recommended for massage therapy. It's too much, mm -hmm. um, 40 to 45 hours a week when I was working full time as an RMT. And then when I switched to teaching, the hours were also similar, 40 to 45, but, um, with teaching, you know, it's, it's not physically demanding, it's mm -hmm. mentally stimulating. So I would sometimes go teach at school and then go straight to the clinic. So I would yeah. leave the house at like eight in the morning and not come home till nine thirty at night. So wow. I, and I liked it. I, I liked not being home. <laughs> if 40 to 45 is a bit too much, what's the ideal number for you for a practicing massage therapist? I would say 30 okay. maximum 35 because massage therapists do have busy seasons. Mm -hmm. We have November and December, which are very busy for us. It's the end of the year. Everybody wants to use their benefits before the year ends. Yeah. So you might find yourself reaching closer to 40 or even above 40 at that mm -hmm. time. Um, but generally 30, 35, I, I, I stopped pushing until after 35. I have a friend who would work 60 hours a week and she wow. was in her fifties. Yeah. And wow. it's a lot. And she burnt out very quick, mm -hmm. especially because she was older too. And that's yeah. why a lot of people don't last in massage therapy for a long time is they overdo it and mm -hmm. they burn out and they don't do the self care. Interesting. 
What about your teaching after you had your baby? Did you continue teaching? Did your hours drop drastically? Um, so to, towards the end of my maternity leave, maternity leave, I was doing a lot more teaching than I was practicing. Mm-hmm. I was practicing about 16 hours a week and then teaching the rest mm-hmm. and to equal to about 40 hours. Um, okay. And so with my maternity, I when I was pregnant, I stopped practicing massage at 32 weeks because it's physical and I just, my belly was in the way I couldn't yeah. reach. Other than that, I was feeling pretty good. I had a really easy pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And then um, I taught on Friday, had a baby on Sunday, and then I was back to teaching three weeks later. And it was because it was during COVID, yeah. it was online. I would record lectures and just yeah. upload them. Mm-hmm. And it would be like, you know, some time away from Mitka, you know, yeah. Cause you need that when you're like 24 seven, always around your baby. Yeah. Um, and then I would, I, during that sem- semester, it was at Durham. I only went to school maybe like five or six times mm-hmm. in four months. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is there a reason why you're still practicing while you teach? Is there a requirement that you have to keep practicing to maintain your license? Uh, no, if you're doing um, hands-on teaching uh, where you're, um, doing practical work while Mm -hmm. teaching, then those hours of teaching actually meet your minimum requirements of what you need to maintain your registration as a massage therapist. Um, So yeah, you don't need to be practicing. Uh, For me, it was very important. uh, When I entered the field, like when I entered teaching, I noticed the difference between my colleagues who were practicing and my colleagues who were not. Um, I found that the students respect you a lot more when Mm -hmm. you actually are doing what you're preaching. Um, And Mm -hmm. so for me, that was important is to practice what I preach, give them real life experiences. We would often talk about, Hey, yesterday I was, I was at work and this happened and it relates to what I'm teaching and what we're learning. And Mm -hmm. so that was very valuable. Um, Also massage therapy is um, I find very like relaxing, Mm -hmm. even even just like it's dim in the room and there's music, which some people hate. Singji hates that music. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I liked it. And one-on-one with people, it's sometimes standing in front of a classroom teaching like 15, 20 students, that can be exhausting as well, having to talk so much. Um, So it was nice to practice as well. So it was important for me to have that balance. Interesting. And the money. And (laughs) Right? You (laughs) have to remember the money. Yeah. Yeah. The money is way better when you practice versus when you teach. Hmm. So why have you now decided to transition to early childhood education? You seem to be enjoying massage therapy and teaching. So why this career change? So I'm still practicing massage, barely, like maybe one massage a week, but Mm -hmm. I'm still doing it. Um, I'm still teaching 20 hours a week online, and then I'm in school full time. Uh, For me, I'm hoping to still continue teaching the college I'm at right now. It's um, a little bit more flexible. They also allow me to record lectures at a time that is convenient for me, which Mm -hmm. I normally do after my baby sleeps and then um, I can upload them. So I'm hoping to still continue that. But the reason I switched into early childhood education is um, as my maternity, I took a 12 month maternity. You can take 12 or 18. I took 12. And as it got closer and closer to the end of my maternity leave, I was feeling very anxious. And I've had this issue in postpartum is um, a lot of postpartum anxiety about being separated from Midgar Mm -hmm. and leaving her in other people's care, even if it's my mom or my mother-in-law. For me, it's been really hard to leave her other than when I leave her with Singji. And so um, I was coming to, it was 
June and my maternity ended in August and I just couldn't see myself going back to back to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew with massage therapy um, and teaching both that I would have to be like fully, fully away from her. There's yeah. no way I could bring her with me. Mm-hmm. Um, around that time, there was also talks of us opening up our own clinic, yeah. but it didn't happen. And so when I was going to open up my own clinic, I was like, okay, well, at least I could bring her with me there and it's mm-hmm. my own business. So I don't really have to answer to anybody. Yep. But when that fell through, I was like, what else can I do? And I feel like the ECE thing um, just kind of fell right in front of my face. I was just looking at Instagram stories and somebody that I follow, an influencer, she was posting about um, the fully funded early childhood education program that was being funded by the government. And so Mm -hmm. you don't pay any tuition. You don't pay for your textbooks because there's such a high demand for ECEs. Um, And so they wanted to get people in and out of school as fast as possible. So it's a compressed program in 14 months. And so I, I applied for that at Durham. Uh, George Brown was closed at the time. So I applied at Durham and I applied at Centennial. I got into both and obviously Centennial is closer. For me, I really was, I would love to say that I wanted to help other children Mm -hmm. and I'm this great humanitarian. But for me, it was very, like initially it was very selfish reasons is I saw it as a way that I could bring Mitko to work with Mm -hmm. me. So I didn't have to be away from her. And I knew that she wouldn't ever be allowed in the same classroom as me because mm-hmm. that those are the rules. Your child can't be in the same classroom as you. Yeah. But I was like, I could work at a daycare or a center where she can be in the same center as mm-hmm. me. And um, it was really just a way to kind of help with the postpartum anxiety that I was yeah. feeling. And now I really do have that um, passion and really do love working with other kids as well. Bringing it back a little bit to when you were first exploring massage therapy after school. Um, were there any conflicts with family members when you were deciding this career path? Um, and especially coming right out of your, your BSc in biomed? Yeah. Um, growing up, um, I think a lot of Punjabi kids experienced the pressure to become a doctor, lawyer, or engineer. Mm-hmm. Uh, for my dad, it was also teacher. Um, so doctor, lawyer, engineer, teacher, those are your like career choices. And so I didn't really know that there was much else out there. And I felt that pressure. And um, I feel like I was a fairly intelligent child. I always got good grades. And I always joke with my older sister because my dad used to feed her badam, almonds, yeah. because he would say like, Jyoti, which is me, Prabjot, is like, Jyoti smarter than you. To, he would say to Devinder and he'd be like, you eat almonds so you become smarter. And so he, yeah. they would give her almonds to make her smarter. And now she's much smarter than me. But sure. as a kid, I feel like school came very naturally to me. I didn't mm-hmm. have to try very hard. I always got good grades. So I was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to be a doctor. And so my dad was very happy about that. He was very happy about the dentist plan. And then when it switched, he didn't really know what physiotherapists were, but he was like, Mm -hmm. okay, seems good. And then I was also looking into chiropractic at the time. And he loved that because he was like, oh, you would be a doctor still. And then I decided to pursue none of it. It just like shattered my dad's dreams of me being a doctor. And yeah, with massage, he was like, you're going to be a massage therapist? Like he didn't really like it. He, um, he, He felt like it was degrading. Um, and he didn't put me through thousands and thousands of dollars at Waterloo to just help make me become a massage yeah. therapist. And even at work, um, uncles and aunties would be like, "Oh, so fair to not And I was like, "No, this is my job. Mm-hmm. Like, I I'm not studying anything else. This is my job. This is my full time job." Yeah. And they would always like, 
it, it, I always felt a sense of judgment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And similar to that, you hear, or not you hear, but some people may not respect massage therapy as a career in technically still the medical field or the healthcare field. Um, did these types of comments ever demotivate you when you were pursuing this career? Or do those conversations come up when you're talking to other professionals? Yes. So my dad, not, you know, really being not like approving the massage therapy thing did demotivate me for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, there was um, Manjit Basra. He's yeah. uh, with Peel Police. He was really pushing for Bibian to come into the uh, police force and especially for Peel. Yeah. And he was a, he was working as a recruiter at the time and he was um, wanting me to do that. So mm-hmm. I felt very double-minded. And then my dad being in my ear about that, he was like, oh, yeah, it would be better if you're a police officer. It's like more respectable. Mm-hmm. And so I was very double minded and um, I just didn't feel passionate about policing. Um, and so there was a while in massage therapy school where I just stopped going. Yeah. I got a job part time working reception in a physio clinic mm-hmm. and I just stopped going to school for mm-hmm. about three months. Wow. And the way that my school is, they weren't really big on attendance. So I was still enrolled in yeah. school. Um, and when when I realized, like, I, my, I had my foot in too many boats or whatever yeah. the expression is. I was doing too many things at once. Mm-hmm. And I told myself that I really just need to focus on one thing. And massage therapy seemed like it was the most achievable. Yeah. Um, and so I stuck with massage therapy. Um, what was your question again? I was there. I went on a tangent there. It was, again, if it demotivates you in your career or what the respect looks like within the healthcare profession. Yeah. So the second part, so that, that was the first part of the question. And the second part is, yeah, there is definitely a hierarchy in the field and massage therapists are at the bottom. Okay. Uh, chiropractors and uh, physiotherapists are considered higher. Chiropractors do four years of schooling. Mm-hmm. Physiotherapy is a master's program. Um, and massage therapy is one to two, maybe sometimes three year program. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there is a hierarchy. I have faced that. I have, had experiences where I would use terminology, especially after I started teaching, it really helped me gain confidence because I was reviewing Mm. the material all the time. And I knew that in order to teach it, you have to understand it. So Mm -hmm. I knew I had a good grasp on the material because I was teaching it. And so I found myself more comfortable with using the proper terminology. Mm -hmm. And so I remember talking to a colleague who's a chiropractor and I had mentioned a specific orthopedic test and he looked at me and was like, you know what that is? And, uh, yeah. and that's like a very standard thing that all massage therapists are taught, but yep. really like as a massage therapist, you have to go through anatomy, physiology, pathology, pharmacology. You have to do all of those courses, mm-hmm. um, in addition to your clinical skills and yep. treatments courses. So mm-hmm. massage therapists are a lot more educated than we think. Yeah. And, um, are competent healthcare professionals. We are a part of the regulated health professions act. So mm-hmm. we are health professionals yep. and, um, that's the purpose of our college, right? The college mm-hmm. of massage therapists of Ontario is to, uh, protect the public, but also advocate for RMTs. And, um, as, 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 there's an association called the registered massage therapist association association of Ontario. That's their main goal is to advocate on behalf of massage therapists and, mm-hmm. um, the perception of the public working on that yeah. and um, gaining respect in the field. Interesting. Um, what are some qualities that you believe should be present in a massage therapist? So based on your experience, some things that would help someone become a successful massage therapist. 
Um, healing is a big part of it, you know, um, uh, the desire to, you know, heal people, help people that should definitely be there. Empathy, caring for others. Um, it shouldn't just be about, oh, this is just a job for me. This is just about the money. Mm -hmm. Um, because people come in and they're in serious pain. And when I've been in those moments in my life where like woke up on the wrong side and I can barely rotate my head or my back hurts so much, I know that I'm literally just counting down the minutes till my massage. So people are really relying on you to help them. And you have to care about that Mm -hmm. as a massage therapist. Um, so yeah, definitely, um, um, being caring, um, as a massage therapist, you should definitely hold yourself to that standard that you are a health professional. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's a big part of it. And being a people person, um, being friendly is a big thing. You don't have to be, but I find that it does help in your success as being a people person, being somebody who is approachable because when you are a massage therapy patient or client, you are very vulnerable, right? Yeah. You're in a closed room with somebody you don't know that well when you meet them for the first time and you're not wearing your clothing, right? Yeah. And clothing is what gives us security. So mm-hmm. it's very important to uh, follow the draping guidelines and not put your hands where they shouldn't be yeah. and communicate uh, because massage therapy is also a field. And I think that's why people da- like look down on it as well is there are a lot of cases of sexual assault in massage therapy Mm -hmm. where massage therapists sexually assault the client. And that's why the, uh, the college is there, right. Mm -hmm. To protect the public. The reverse also happens where you, I've had experiences of being sexually assaulted by uh, a client too. Mm -hmm. So you're both very vulnerable, but the client is way more vulnerable than you are because they're not clothed Mm -hmm. and they're face down and you automatically there's a power imbalance when you are the therapist and they're the client you'll Mm -hmm. often hear clients say oh yeah well if you think that's good for me then yeah let's do it and you have to make sure that Mm. they are the decision makers in their healthcare, and that's big for all regulated health professions is the client is the decision maker even if you have more education and you know more about massage and you know what techniques will work if they don't want to do them you have to respect that and Aside from that, what's been the the thing is you've been a massage therapist, a teacher, and now also back to being a student. So I'm sure that your experiences as an undergrad student, but now as an early childhood educator student have been very different. So what's been the best and worst part of practicing as a massage therapist, then teaching, and now being back in school? Um, the... For the best part about being working, just even as a massage therapist or a professor, is um, you know you leave your work at work and you don't have to really think about it. With teaching, you do a little bit. Mm. With massage therapy, I loved that I would go to work, I would see my clients, I would finish my notes like five minutes after they leave, like because I would do it right after every client mm. takes you like five minutes per client, and so you finish and you leave and you don't think about it. Yeah, and so. For me, that was very big when I was in university and everybody was like, oh, watch when you start working, you're going to look back and you're going to be like, oh, I miss school because with school, there's there is like uh, there is kind of less responsibility. Right. If you don't go to class, the only one you're affecting is yourself. Exactly. If with massage therapy or any job, if you don't show up on time, you could get fired. Yeah. If you don't perform, you could get fired. Mm -hmm. And so there's more responsibility. And so um 
people used to say, you're going to miss that. You're going to miss like as a student, you can just sleep through class. I can honestly say I have not missed being in school at all. Not one day in my life have I ever said, oh, I wish I was in school again. Okay. Um, so that's one of the great things about um, being uh, like the one of the best things about being in massage therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, with uh, teaching, there was more of that, like bring your work home because yeah. you have to do a lot of prep, especially in my er- like earlier when I first started teaching, I, they, when I was hired at every college I worked at, they were like, everything is prepped for you, but I refuse to use other people's notes because mm. I have like trust issues. I was like, I have to make my own notes. Yeah. I can't teach from other people's notes. So I spent a lot of time prepping. And so a lot of late nights. Um, and so that was, that, that, that was the part that I didn't like as you bring your yeah. work home with you. But as a student, yeah, there's a lot more, um, thinking about it when you wake up in the morning you're like okay I got to study this and yeah. I have an exam and I got to do this and I got to do that and you don't just leave your school at school you yeah. have to bring it home with you so um that's the worst part about um school but yeah the less responsibility of school is nice mm-hmm. I I can miss class and it doesn't really matter right now I'm really enjoying the program that I'm in because I feel like as an early childhood educator um, you have to have like a lot of friendliness and openness to you. Yeah. You're working with very young children. So mm-hmm. the people in my class are very nice and we've yeah. become good friends. And so I like that aspect of being in school, but the assignments and the exams, I don't like it. That's fair. Yeah. One thing you mentioned when we spoke earlier is the demand of a massage therapist. So is it a sustainable career in terms that people will always need massage therapists? Do you see your clients staying with you for a very long time? Or is it the opposite that there are like peak seasons there, you know, maybe it's not such a sustainable career. You have to really be dedicated to building a practice. Yeah, there the the, the demand is there, especially okay. as a female. It's a little bit easier as a massage therapist when you're mm-hmm. a female because the demand is much higher. Um, I feel like if you carry yourself with professionalism, the demand is also there for yeah. males. Um, but Uh, city matters too like uh Mm. different cities i've worked in like etobicoke it's easier to get a job as a male massage therapist and have that respect um compared to brampton people are more hesitant to get massages from uh male massage therapists here in brampton Mm. um so it depends on where you go but yeah the demand is there you can i remember getting my uh registration on january 11th and i had three clinics fully like lined up by January 17th. Wow. So that was in this, like, I went on, I think I, I, I applied the next day. I just got phone call after phone call. When can you yeah. come in for an interview? When can you come in for an interview? Some of them were like, we don't need an interview. Like what's your registration number? Like yeah. what's the first day you can come? So wow. the demand is there. Um, and so there, there's no issues um, with that. Yeah. The, the demand is there. Did you also mean like other demands or like, no, that, that was the one in okay. terms of the job market itself, because that's an important consideration for a lot of people that are part of my generation because the market is so unpredictable now. So certain careers, there is that uncertainty about whether or not you'll find a job once you graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was wondering if those concerns exist in massage therapy. Um, another thing I'm wondering is in terms of the different dynamics of teaching and massage therapy. When you're practicing, it's you and your client, very closed spaces, not too many people you're interacting with, and teaching you're in a class filled with people. Um, do you enjoy having that contrast in experiences? Do you prefer one more than the other? 
I think I prefer being in the classroom more because mm -hmm. I'm a people person. I thrive Fair. off of people's energy. Yeah. Um, uh, but there's definitely pros and cons. And some of them I mentioned before too, like with teaching, sometimes when you talk for an hour, by the end of it, your throat's hurting yeah. and you're like, okay, just get on your tables and practice so I can get a break. And yeah. um, so, yeah, that, that, that is a part of it is um, it, it is uh, exhausting, mm -hmm. but there is exhausting things about being a massage therapist as well. So it goes back to the best and worst yeah. qualities of each job. Like, there's a lot more freedom being a massage therapist. You're you're your own boss. You can yeah. go on vacation for two months and you don't get paid, but you can go for two months. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, you know, great. there's a lot more independence and freedom. But yeah, yeah, I really like the balance. I think that was the highlight of my career is where I felt like I was really thriving in my career is mm -hmm. when I wasn't working full time as a massage yeah. therapist, when I was teaching. I was about, happier. What about the physical toll that practicing has on you? And the reason why I ask is because after my massages, depending on how like deep tissue it was, like I'll go sore, but I know it's good for me. But all of that pressure that the massage therapist has to exert to bring that out um, seems very intense. So do you have a massage therapist that you go to? How do you take care of your body after enduring all of that physical toll? Yeah, I definitely go for massage. And if you are effective as an RMT, then you are, you know, practicing proper body mechanics mm -hmm. so that you are not using so much of your energy when you are massaging. So you really shouldn't be too, too tired. Of course, okay. it's tiring, but yeah. use your body weight. So um, practicing proper body mechanics is really big. Like you said, I do go for a massage. Yeah. Um, like when I was practicing, I was more strict about it. Um, once a month, I would always aim for. And then sometimes here and there, you know, with a colleague, you're like, yeah. hey, I'll massage you, you massage me. And so <laughs> we would do things like that. And then the other parts of um, self-care are, you know, not overworking. Yeah. Right? And then um, luckily I was... I, I've always had a life, you know, like yeah. someone's like my, yeah. I know people who are like, my work is my life. Mm -hmm. I never felt like that. I never mm -hmm. felt like my work is my life. I feel like I've always had a life outside of work because yeah. of SYF. I have yeah. a lot of um, extracurriculars that mm -hmm. I do. So that was a big part of self-care and preventing burnout as well. I feel like that's just an added benefit as lawyers. Like, what am I going to do for another lawyer? Um, whereas you can just go to your colleague and be like, I'll massage you, you massage me. Yeah. That's great. That's actually really fun. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you uh, used to go once a month when you were practicing. What types of people come to a massage therapist and what types of people should come to a massage therapist? Because like you mentioned, there are some misconceptions um, that exist about sometimes it's the eff efficacy of massage. People sometimes just hearing the word physio or chiro, they think it's more official and more effective. So again, what types of people come to massage therapists and what types of people should come to massage therapists? Um, like also, like just to add to what you're saying, you said people think physio and chiro are more official. Mm -hmm. Physio especially is more referred mm -hmm. like from doctors. Yeah. So the person that a lot of people go to when they're in pain is their family doctor. Yep. And medical doctors are more inclined to refer to physio. They they rarely refer to chiros, hmm. um, yeah. but they'll they'll refer to physios um, or massage. So okay. physio usually first yep. and then massage. So I think the, the idea is, is that physio is going to help you with the exercises and all of that. But yep. massage is definitely massage therapists should and are trained to teach you, um, those, um, self-care aspects as mm -hmm. well. Can you repeat your question? And it was, uh, what types of people do come to a massage therapist and which ones should? Yeah. So, uh, um, 
mostly people come when they're like desperate and in pain. Yeah. Uh, you'll get like the really good patients who are coming no matter what. And mm -hmm. it's usually because they had a bad experience, had a lot yeah. of pain at one point, then they realized that they should have been doing it more often. And mm -hmm. then they actually stuck with it and went more often. Yeah. But a lot of times people are like, you know what, I'm going to start coming more often. And then they never do because they get busy with their lives and yeah. they don't make it a priority. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, definitely. Everybody should make it a priority. Everybody should go at least once a month. Okay. But a lot of times people that I see are people who are in like chronic pain. Yeah. Um, I never really worked in a sports clinic, so I didn't deal with a lot of athletes. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, children, I really, when I was pregnant, I really got into infant massage. Yeah. So we do a lot of babies, elderly people, especially in Brampton, had a lot of elderly yeah. patients. So yeah, those are some of the different types of clientele. For someone who's a healthy individual for the most part, um, let's say between the ages of 20 to 40, should they also be coming once a month or can they, it can be a bit more irregular or should it be more regular? It should be once a month, like at least. Okay. Um, and a lot of people will also base it on their benefits, which Fair. I don't blame them, yeah, right? Like, that makes sense. Massage therapy is very expensive. Yeah. Um, so some people only have like $500 coverage, which is yeah. going to cover you for barely five massages for an hour. Yeah. So some people might say, oh, I'm going to come every other month so mm -hmm. that I can use my benefits. And and then some people, they have, uh, you know, really good benefits and yeah. they can come once a month or people are willing to pay out of pocket because yeah. it's an investment in your body. That's true. And then you have, you know, your WSIB, so the work workplace injuries, and then you have MVAs, which are motor vehicle accidents. So they mm. have treatment plans that they have to follow through the insurance companies. So then they have to come according to what their treatment plan says. As someone who's offering so much help to people that may be in pain or just want to stay healthy, do you ever experience burnout um, because of not only did you juggle practicing, but also the teaching? And from what I know, teaching is beyond the hours. You did your own prep, uh, grading assignments, etc. So do you ever experience burnout and how do you either prevent it from happening or how do you recover from it? Yeah, I definitely experienced burnout as a massage therapist when I was working full time. I would experience days where my wrists would really hurt or my back would really hurt or my neck or my shoulders would really hurt. So, yeah, yeah the, uh, especially in the months of December, I would because it's really busy so in yeah. january i'd be like see ya and i wouldn't come to work for like two three weeks yeah um and it's a good time to take time off anyways because it's very slow in january so yeah. i always do that um but yeah i definitely experienced burnout as a full-time massage therapist with teaching i honestly can say that i loved it so much i didn't call in sick not once in two years wow. because like I and it was there was no COVID so you yeah. know even if you have a little bit of a runny nose you still go to yeah. work um so yeah even when I wasn't feeling well I always wanted to go to school and mm. that's really you know telling you that medics was a great place to work for me it was yeah. a good environment I wanted to be there but then you know you always have like workplace drama and this person did that and, and politics and yeah. all. so there were times where it felt very exhausting mm -hmm. to deal with that. But being in the classroom and teaching students, that never felt exhausting. And that yeah. never burnt me out. That's awesome to hear. If you were able to speak with first-year undergrad, Prabhjot, knowing everything you know now, is there any advice or lesson you'd want to give her? Yeah, like drop the ego. Um, is that specific to massage therapy or, or in general? For education, like mm. for education and career. I would say, yeah, drop the ego, 
Well, yeah, generally too. It's not like I'm so <laughs> humble. Um, but yeah, it, especially for the career, I think I had a lot of ego of, oh, I'm smarter than that or I'm better than this. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, for a career, I think, um, yeah, but I really would just tell myself to trust the process. I feel like Guru Sahib did everything perfectly. You know, mm-hmm. when I was having those doubts about going into massage therapy, I didn't know how great I would feel one day being able to teach massage therapy, right? Yeah. The the doubts that I was having because of the pressure from my dad, it, it, it was all worth it. Like, you know, my my I even felt like, why did I even do a university degree? This was a waste yeah. of my time. But had I not done that, I wouldn't have been able to teach. Yeah. And so I, I, I would have now been able to start teaching. Mm-hmm. And wow. so, yeah. yeah, like it's... Um, I'm really happy with how things turned out. It led me to teaching, which made me so happy. It fulfilled like a lot of things for me. Um, And work for me was especially teaching, but work in general for me was very good for my mental health. It made me get out of bed every morning, even through like struggles and being a newlywed and adjusting to living in a new house and all of the things that you go through as a woman in our community of living with in-laws and all of that, it it was really great for me. So I would tell myself to, you know, trust the process, trust Guru Sahib and where you're supposed to go, you'll land there. And I would, I even should remind myself of that now because I often, even now find myself not trusting in the process. Has your dad's perception of the career changed now that you've been an established professional in it? Yeah. So when I was in massage therapy school, I was working at a clinic in um, Brampton West mm-hmm. and I made my dad go there for a massage and he loved it. Yeah. Um, he awesome. went with another massage therapist and he had never done massage before, like mm-hmm. formally. And so he he loved it. And he said, this is like the best thing ever. Yeah. And he tried to go to a chiropractor and physio over the years. And he always comes back to massage. Yeah. He's always like, no, but massage is like the best. And so he, even now, like once or twice, like, uh, um, like once a month or at once mm-hmm. every two months, we have a massage therapist come to our house. Cause my dad's too lazy to go to the clinic. Nice. Uh, we have a massage therapist come to our house. Cause we have all the material, yeah. right? all the um, table and everything you need. Mm-hmm. So she comes and he loves it. Um, uh, did I answer your question? I think you did. Okay. I love how you had to throw in uh, that was his first formal massage because obviously in a lot of Desi households we've had those informal. You know, you kids stand up on, on your, your yeah with a broom in their hand. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, from the past now, moving to the future, where do you see yourself in a few years? Um, for me, initially when I started early childhood education, I saw myself doing it temporarily, mm. and I was like, I'm going to come back to massage therapy and. Yeah. Um, because for anybody that knows anything about ECE, the pay is not great. But for mm. me, it was more of a priority to spend time with Mitgod until yeah. she's off to like kindergarten. And if we have any future kids and all of that stuff. So I was like, I'll do it temporarily until she's in school. And then I'm going to go back to my career as a massage therapist mm-hmm. and teaching. Um, but in a few years, I don't know if I'll still be like, I really like it. I really like early childhood education. Mm-hmm. You can go into resource consulting through that. You can open up your own center. Yeah. I'm very like business minded. I don't want to work for somebody for the rest of my life. I want to open up my own business, mm-hmm. whether that means opening up a, se- a child care center or opening up a massage therapy clinic. Yeah. I hope to be on some sort of path 
of establishing a business in the next few years. Interesting. Where does that interest in business come from? My dad. Yeah. Very yeah. My dad is, uh, I wouldn't say he's like a businessman or anything, but he's always had his own business. Um, he had his own construction business our whole lives and mm -hmm. it gave him a lot of freedom. Not that he really exercised it because he still worked like a madman, but you know, you could, you know, yeah. take more time off. It gives you more financial freedom. And, uh, I really just want, like right now, I feel like our house for a, a long time has been like the hub. You know, we have Maris Roop and we have get togethers yep. and Sangat comes over a lot. And sometimes I feel like I wish we could have like when there's camp and mm -hmm. um, like Gyanis uh, and uh, like Gyanis Pugwan Singhji, like the like, yep. they want to stay over. Yep. Sometimes we have to have discussions of, okay, where are they going to stay? Yep. Do we have enough space? Mm -hmm. Um I just don't want that issue. Yeah. I want to have a place where Sangat can come openly, that there's never an issue of do we have enough space? Yeah. Do we have to like put a tent in the backyard or things like that? Yeah. So um, I I just think it's really hard to do with a nine to five today, like yeah. in today's age, like it's just hard to earn these days with mm -hmm. inflation. Everything's getting so expensive. Like yeah. my dad always says, he said, when we were younger, you worked a nine to five. If you did a good job and you worked hard, you could buy a house. Yeah. Nowadays you work nine to five, you do a good job. You have good work ethic. You still may not be able to afford a house. Even a condo. Yeah. yeah. And so it's crazy. And so the only way I really see it happening is through a business, especially yeah. the way I envision my life is I want to live in a house where Sangat can come. Mm -hmm and there'll be a lot of space yep. and so that's that's where that business mindedness comes from there we are heading towards the end of today's episode and you're very familiar with this we like to end every episode i came up with these questions <laughs> with the random five <laughs> so i can't even say that they're t five totally random questions because <laughs> um but we'll get right into it first one is what is your favorite book the harry potter series just like your sister. Yes. <laughs> Who said not she copies me in everything. You'd be I read them first. If you listen to your two episodes, you're going to hear a lot of similarities. Really? <laughs> um, she also mentioned, you know, your dad and family being business minded. And that's something that's important to her. You yeah. will hear a lot of those similarities. So we want to go into business to... together, me and my sister. Really? Yeah. Because okay. she's she's studying to be a chiropractor. Yeah. So it goes really well with massage. Awesome. What is your favorite quote and or Barney Funky? I have it in my phone. Um, uh, the line is, Hamra mastik dag dagana, ham karaj guru boho sade. It's especially that second part. Ham karaj guru boho sade means, I owe such a great debt to my guru. Mm -hmm. That line is, and the next one it's, Parapakar pun boho kiya, pao dutre tar parade. Which is, you know, Guru Sahib has been so kind to me and lifted me through like this ocean that yeah. is the world. So, we owe everything to Guru Sahib. What is one of your weird quirks? Um, My weird quirk is that I have not washed my face with anything but water since I was like 14 years old. Because um, I used to use a lot of products like Spectrogel and all that stuff. Yeah. And it gave me a lot of pimples. And um, my mommy told me, she's like, don't put anything on your face. Don't put any chemicals yeah. on your face. So I started using just water and it really helped clear up my skin. See, a lot of people don't realize being simple is is usually the way to go. <laughs> all of, I don't know any like uncle or auntie that has spent so much time in India because in India that's all they do is just bani and they have the clearest skin. 
Yeah. Um, they also have the nicest teeth because they used to use dot them. Yeah, stuff. yeah. But, yeah. Okay, interesting. And if you could meet anyone in history, who would it be? Um, Guru Gobind Singh team. But I don't want to play favorites. Any of the Guru Sahibs really would be good. <laughs> Fair enough. What's your biggest pet peeve? Um, when, like, especially, like, with moms, parents, I'll be, like, you know, getting ready, rolling up my sleeves, ready to do the, wash the pande. Mm -hmm. And my mom will be, like, pande to ding. And then, like, I'm about to start. Yeah. Like, that's one of my pet peeves is when you tell me to do something that I'm already doing. Fair enough. Before we end off today, is there anything else you want to leave with our listeners? Um, just, you know, trust Guru Sahib. Trust Guru Sahib that they have the best plans for you. It's hard to see it in the moment sometimes. But trust Guru Sahib. And this is not really for the listeners. It is for the listeners, but it's also for me as... Trust Guru Sahib, trust the process, stop overthinking, drop the doubts, and that's it. Just trust Guru Sahib. Awesome. So thank you so much for being on the show. It was really nice now interviewing you instead of having you as a co-host. Um, it's a so lot more scary on this side. <laughs> I can imagine, which is why I'm very glad on this side of the mic. <laughs> but thank you for coming back and taking out your time to share your experiences. But we'll end the episode there you've been listening to the experience Siki podcast 